share pro cast hello i'm stephen scott from the rnib and i'm robin christopherson of abilitynet and here we are again uh, we are here for another texture procast uh, looking back at what has been an incredible event robin absolutely really really fantastic couple of days we've got so much to bring you yeah lots of interviews coming up uh, and lots more longer interviews in the feed as well as we've been doing so uh, this episode a bit of a taster a bit of a teaser for you we're, we're teasing again robin i love this <laughs> lots of clips from the longer interviews to bring you and our intrepid reporter adi latif is still on the floor collaring presenters, speakers, delegates to ask them how they found the event and what's important for them. Absolutely. But I want to start off, Robin, uh, with someone who I know both of us, we were we were quite stunned by uh, a staggeringly accomplished woman by the name of Haben Gurma, uh, an incredible woman who is deafblind, who uh, graduated uh, law at uh, Harvard University, and uh, she's been telling us uh, her story and why she's now involved at Lenovo. I studied law from 2010 to 2013 at Harvard University. I was the first deaf-blind student at Harvard Law School because throughout most of its history, Harvard denied access to women, people of color, and people with disabilities. So it's not necessarily that all of a sudden we have talented people with disabilities. We've always had talented people with disabilities. It's that society is finally removing barriers so that we have more opportunities and society can benefit from talented attorneys and advocates who just happen to have disabilities. Interesting, part of the conversations that we've had here at Texture Pro um, touch on the subject of the ideal world being a world where disability was no longer uh, a problem, essentially, or, or seen as a problem by society. Um, what, what do you think about this idea? Do you, do you fall on the idea that the eradication of disability as being an issue is a good thing? Or do you think that the identification of disability being disabled is, uh, is something to be proud of and we should, we should work with others to understand? Disability is a mismatch between a person and the environment. So you could have someone who is disabled in a certain environment and non-disabled in another environment. Mm. And the more our tech and environments and our cultures are inclusive and accessible, then people will experience fewer disabling situations. And I think disability is something to be proud of. It's an identity. It contributes to diversity and unique lived experiences our world would be incredibly boring if everyone was identical (laughs) (laughs) i think we can all agree on that for sure wow so she had so much going against her there obviously she's got lots of ability in her favor and lots of tenacity but you know she was disabled doubly disabled she was a woman she was an ethnic minority it was basically a you know a perfect storm of potential for discrimination everything and was against her robin every single absolutely. thing and she except her superstar qualities yes. which really helped her win through so yeah there's an interview with her and paul walsh of lenovo um talking all about their approach to digital inclusion and diversity so yeah check out that which will drop in the feed tomorrow. 
Okay, Robin, shall we talk television? (laughs) (laughs) Now, for for regular listeners to the Texture Procast, you will know that Robin is not the biggest fan of television, okay? I'm just putting that out there. Don't do TV. Don't do TV. Okay, fine, fair enough. But others do. I wonder if Haben would be interested in this. Mind you, I think she's too busy. I'm not sure what your excuse is. Um, (laughs) We get the chance to sit down with two amazing guys from Amazon uh, involved with Prime Video, the uh, streaming service, and we get the chance to find out what they're doing to make their content more accessible to all of us as uh, disabled people. Uh, We get the chance to sit down with Paul Duncan, who is an engineer, and the man who deals with the accessibility of the content on the Prime Video platform, Abby Muturi. Lots of people will sit home, get their dinner out, sit the TV, right, what shall I watch? And by the time they've got to find something to watch, the dinner's cold. That's right. We want to make sure that you know everybody can find something that's relevant to them and what they want. So we've got loads of teams working on stuff like this. We've got loads of ideas. We're doing lots of user testing. Of course, we want to speak to our customers because we're Amazon is you know, proud of its customer's mm. obsession. But you know, you are the customers. We need to find out what you want. We want to speak to you. And we love speaking to you. But you I know, also know that the blind community can sometimes be quiet on these things and it needs to maybe speak up a bit more. And I, I encourage I've never all no, blind I've people never noticed to do that. that personally. Well, <laughs> I, I think I think we could speak more, if I'm honest. And I think but I, I and I don't get the feeling you wouldn't listen. It's a case of we would need to explain what we need more. Uh, and I think that's important as well. And I guess that would be something you would support. One of the things that worked really well at Prime Video is talking to blind customers. Mm-hmm. So one of the first things that we did, we did a user study with blind customers using Prime Video. We asked them, so what do you care about? And like we basically had a video of them using our service. That made us find out all the gaps that exist. And then we could start like prioritizing them it also showed our leadership, like these customers exist mm-hmm. and we want to work for them and improve the experience for them. So talking to customers, we want to do that as much as we can. Actually, I, I think it's great. And I think Robin would agree with me that mm-hmm. this is so important uh, that you're here at this event as well, at TechShare Pro, because we need you to be here. We need you to be part of this conversation because we, we who else will fight for this, right? We've got to, We've got to push, but... We need you guys behind us on this, and what you're describing there, Abby, about how your how your culture and I guess that's the whole thing, isn't it? That the culture uh, of accessibility has grown. I mean, you said at the beginning, you know, you, you're you're part of a a wide team uh, who deal with all the different devices. I mean, all the Fire tablets, uh, all of the the Kindle devices as well, all of the products, our shopping, shopping as well, everything. Yeah. In fact, I was on my I was on my Samsung phone earlier. I said this to you earlier, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Samsung phone has got a feature on it now where there's built-in Samsung support for Amazon shopping, which I find quite interesting, which I can't wait to try. Uh, so, you know, it's just great to see all that happening. Um, you are costing me an absolute fortune, but I'll get over it. <laughs> so Amazon really are committed to accessibility, aren't they? And, yeah. you know, I, I've mentioned it before. The Echo, for example, which I'm a big fan of, is able to be used by people who can't speak and also who can't hear a smart speaker where, you know, it's for people also who can't speak or hear, which, you know, imagine that discussion in the Amazon boardroom yeah. when they asked for the funding to make that happen. You know, that is the level of commitment that we're seeing here with Amazon. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Well, I know you're not the biggest fan of TV, but I do think it's important that we talk about Sony. Uh, they have made uh, some interesting strides to making the uh, electronic program guide on their televisions more accessible. 
we got the chance to sit down with David Williams, the Divisional Director of Sony Home Entertainment, to talk about the strides they've made to make their whole television experience more accessible. So we're trying to move to really a hands-free operation. Um, or both the, the TVs have uh, voice control on the remotes and certain high-end TVs also have far-field microphones. So using those famous words, OK Google, hey Google, if, if, these, if that's your assistant of choice, yeah. then the TVs will respond to your commands and your wake-up messages and it'll give you all the information you need at the start of every day or before you go to bed. So this is where I've woken up. Uh, hi, it's Robin here. Yeah, he, he doesn't watch television. Do he doesn't TV. do TV. Hi, Robin, no, David. literally don't do TV. But, um, so your job, David, is to sell him a telly today. <laughs> so what would I ask for? Because you can't probably guarantee that the assistants in the shop will know about the accessibility features mm. necessarily. So, yeah, you know, if people wanted this Android-based version, what would they need to ask for? And... Um, can you drive everything that we've been talking about from the Google Assistant, or would you need to know your way around the remote control? Uh, okay, so in terms of which model to ask for, if you just ask for Sony Android TV, I, I believe it's as simple as that. We have a number of model ranges, obviously different segments, different uh, picture features, audio features, but you just ask for Android TV, and the Assistant should be able to give you the appropriate support. Um, Google Assistant, uh, at the moment, everything appears to work as a standard assistant would. Uh, the only, uh, the the only, um, the the advantage is you don't need the extra equipment. So the TV set will, the TV itself is the the microphone. It's the Google interface to the network and the applications. Then you you do away with your um, your um, additional um, Google Echo and so on. Yeah. So could you interface it? Could you use it as the interface for doing a series record for up and down the volume? for changing channels, that sort of thing. That's right. So uh, we've got, you know, if you want to change input to digital, you want to go to BBC One, you want to go to E4. Um, if you want to play your radio station, play heart or set volume to 30, all of these controls are working. Um, I have to say that, obviously, these ecosystems, um, we'd like to work with the community to actually confirm which extra commands would be needed and which, which ones add value. So uh, we have these down as default, but if there's any extra commands, we'd like to work together with uh, the stakeholders and through Texture, we're asking these questions. What else do you want to find from these products? How can assistance help you in relation to televisions and so on? We're trying to have those conversations with uh, the various stakeholders here over the next couple of days. And speaking of hands-free, I think Addy has actually collared somebody from a company called Hands-Free Computing ah. to ask them how they're finding the conference. So hi, I'm, I'm here um, at Techshare Pro and what's, can you tell me your name and where you're from and yeah. how you're finding today? My name's Lawrence Howard and I'm the Managing Director of Hands-Free Computing. Come along to Techshare Pro today really just to hear about all the fantastic work that's going on. Yeah, and it's really an uplifting experience being here. Fantastic. Really, because we're, we're in our own little bubble, and it's good to see what the rest of the world is doing. And it's quite inspirational for us with some of the development work that we're doing on our own products. Was there anything in particular that really stood out for you today? So many different things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, Hello, what's your name? Uh, my name's Lawrence Howard. I'm the 
What's your name? My name's Neil. I'm Neil Judd. I'm the digital inclusion manager at um, Hands Free Computing. Right. Um, I think what, what was really interesting was um, this morning when they were talking about website accessibility guidelines and, and making making websites particularly accessible um, to those who, who can't access it properly. So, and that's what we're, we're fundamentally involved in as well with our software development. So that was it was really key to, to hear about that. What does Hands Free Computing do exactly? Is it, is it what what's on the tin? <laughs> it is really. I mean, we, we, we've been in business now for 22 years. Um, we provide soft assistive technology um, and training on how to use it, and also coaching um, to help people, typically neurodiversity, around the kind of things that technology can't help with. Generally, we help people in the workplace, but we do help people literally the whole way through. So we do work with students, we're at university, help them through with their studies, who've got disabilities, into education, uh, through education and into employment. We've also got our own development team, um, which, have, which out of that over the last four years, we've developed some really exciting um, accessibility products to help with. Um, Can you name a couple? Just, yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, 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 they're about to be launched. Ah, so, you know, oh, they're, they're, is, they're, this, they're, is this hush-hush right now? Watch this space, but one of them will, will re- significantly enhance the way that you use websites and interact with websites, where it will provide um, all sorts of screen enhancement features, everything from um, contrast settings, reading rulers, to magnification and so on, sure. right through to things like text-to-speech, so it can speak back to you in 20 different languages, and, and um, speech recognition, so it can speak into it in 40 different languages. Wow. Yeah. Great. So, so it's a global product for global businesses. Wow. Well, thanks for thanks for giving us a sneak peek, and uh, thank you guys. Hope you enjoy the rest of the. And thank you for days. giving me an opportunity to plug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Shameless plug from hands-free computing there. Uh, okay, look, let's uh, stay hands-free, uh, but this time with games. Uh, we got the chance to sit down with Mark Friend from Sony to talk about how the PlayStation is being made more accessible to disabled gamers. There's a lot of uh, developers have become much more passionate about accessibility over the last few years. Uh, Unfortunately for many, that's also tied in with the uh, finishing the development on some of the titles they were on, which meant that they couldn't do as much as they necessarily wanted to 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 make the the games as accessible as as maybe they could have. But going forward with the knowledge and with the support that uh, the user research teams uh, from all the territories uh, are are kind of bringing, it's kind of helping with uh, kind of lifting up those levels of accessibility and focusing on areas particular the core pillars of the game so like you say for a lot of games they're quite fast moving and have to do like uh, button inputs at specific times or hit moving targets and it's kind of looking at what the pillars are and how flexible we can be with uh, with the games and, and how people control them so that could be uh, such as in uh, a game like uh, Detroit Become Human which came out last year <clears throat> there was uh, uh, options in there to increase the length of time uh, for the decision timers for dialogue options and also for the uh, quick time events in the game. So that was helping to make it more accessible without taking away from the core of the game, which was the kind of the quick time events and, and, and that kind of part of, uh, of how it was designed. Are there some inherent conflicts in console gaming where, you know, the moody lighting, you know, is inherently... <coughs> non-contrasting and yet people with a vision impairment really need things to be very high contrast but 
the designer wouldn't want to go for that in that you know for the particular feel of the game and with um allowing for for longer time you know to slow the kind of game play down at critical points could improve or could be a loophole for an able-bodied gamer to you know really increase their high scores and kind of <laughs> have an unfair advantage because they're they're accessing that accessibility uh, feature which wasn't really intended for them so is there kind of some conflicts that you guys are working with on a daily basis um to an extent i mean <clears throat> excuse me uh Part of the kind of original work we were doing was educating the developers and, and kind of letting them know that it's it doesn't necessarily have to be on for a hundred percent of of the players. It could be something that players are able to turn on if if they want. So that way, it doesn't um, doesn't change the original intention or design of the game, but it's something that those who need it can enable. So subtitles are a great example of this. That they're um, games always offer the option to turn on or turn off subtitles. And you would never kind of have, uh, you know, be in a situation where, with that in regard, uh, people are complaining that subtitles are always on and they want to turn them off. And it's the same for these other options, like having specific modes where you have more time to do things or uh, having, or even options that aren't necessarily considered accessibility, such as uh, like uh, aim assists uh, or uh, inverting controls or sensitivity sliders or uh, uh, often like just the brightness and contrast sliders in games. They're, They're there and they're flexible enough to allow players who need to have those settings to turn them on and adjust them if they need to without taking away from the core experience of the game so if someone just jumps in and plays with everything on default and that's what the designers want players can still do that but the players who need the options and the support it's also there for them as well so is there any feeling that you know aim assist and other settings that can help you know slow down timing aren't just like a cheat mode for normal people um i'd be lying if i said that wasn't a worry that i've heard before <laughs> um but again it, it's it's whether or not you uh it's, it's it's how it's positioned. Uh, to use a a Microsoft example, because that's the the one that always springs to mind, is in uh, in the Forza games. The um, they have the ability to rewind time if you make a mistake on your lap, and you can uh, uh, you can kind of then take it back to a point where you're racing just fine, and then complete the race. The way they did it is they split out the uh, leaderboards for people who did and did not use rewind on that lap mm-hmm. or on on that on that race. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can do you can approach it in a way like that. So you kind of split it. You can have like an overall leaderboard, but then split it out by people who are and aren't using assists. And similarly with um, multiplayer lobbies and, and games like that, you can also have it where players who you know, cause again, there's the worry that, like you mentioned, with like aim assist, that some people might use that as a way of um, having that advantage in the game uh, compared to players who don't use it. But the players who do need to use it can't that can't be taken away from them. So having the option to potentially group like-for-like players who are using the same kind of assists would at least put them on a more level playing field and if the worry of um, added... the ability to uh, to kind of kind of quote unquote <laughs> cheat is is there, I guess. I mean, the ideal scenario perhaps would be that you'd have a combined leaderboard, but that could with an optional view mm. of splitting it out. Because Absolutely. otherwise, those disabled users for whom it's their only option to be able to be viable in the game um, would they'd only ever appear in the kind of other list. Otherwise, yeah. So yeah, Sony quite well represented in the procast this week, and obviously a much longer interview. With Mark, we'll drop in the feed later this week. And uh, Stephen, I think Addy has managed to collar somebody else. He certainly has. He's cornered AbilityNet's own Abby James, who's just chaired the Ethics and AI panel. 
You have just um, you've just chaired the ethics and AI um, panel that we just had. It was a very very interesting panel. What's your sort of thoughts after the panel? Or do we have answers to everything now? Oh, we definitely do not have answers to everything, but it's great to hear the questions being raised that we're talking about it. We're talking about the ethical issues, the uh, making sure diversity is thought about within AI and inclusion as much as possible. Um, it was really good to have Apple, Microsoft, and Google all represented there and to hear that they, you know, they've got the people inside there thinking about these issues. Um, there was lots of questions about data privacy mm. and ethics and the technical challenges, um, but I think uh, it's going to be encouraging engagement between uh, those who are developing the AI technology and those who are providing their data, freedom of data, but really tricky questions like, should we be monitoring if somebody's using assistive technology? Mm. How do we know if somebody has a disability? And what are the rights on people disclosing data that may not even be, maybe collected from people who are unaware, third parties, such as uh, speech, people talking to you while you're wearing hearing aids, is one example given. Um, and we heard really great uh, from Rima from the uh, Lovelace Institute about how uh, regulation and analysis needs to be uh, used carefully uh, to make sure that as AI de develops and it's developing at such a quick pace, uh, we make sure that inclusion in all types of ways is embedded into the technology development. Absolutely. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you, Abby, and uh, enjoy your lunch. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it now. <laughs> It's great that Addy and Abby were discussing the ethics and AI panel there because we're now going to hear from Christopher Patno. We interviewed both Christopher and Kendra Price of Google and we've already heard from Chris in the pre-show procasts but we're going to hear from him again here and he starts off by how he first came across the concept of accessibility. It's a very bottoms up company there's no top for good or for bad there's no top down you you should do this and everyone sort of falls in line people do what they think is right people follow their passion and the 20 percent 20 percent i started in accessibility as a 20 percent when i found out my app at the time google play music wasn't accessible someone showed me button 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 <laughs> i asked what's that and she said well this is your app for for someone who's blind i said that's stupid how do they use it she said that's why i'm here Really interesting comments from Chris there. It's only when you see an accessibility in action that oftentimes it can be rectified. Now, that clip is part of a much longer interview with Chris and Kendra, uh, which you will be able to hear in full soon on the Texture Procast feed. But for now, uh, let's talk about some of the future products. And Robin, I really did try to get out of them. Uh, what on earth is coming soon from Google? I want to ask about future technology as well, and and I know you know I will ask you lots of questions, and you'll not give us the answer. But I, I, we've got to ask these questions, right? So two things. There's two things in my mind that I want to ask you about. I'm all, I'm not going to answer one of them. You know it. <laughs> I know one of them, but I've, I've got an extra one that I'm going to throw in as well. Ah, shoot. Okay. Um, but the first one's about Google Glass. That um, was the one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's the one we're not answering. Um, but no, this this is interesting because, of course, we saw Google Glass a few years back, mm -hmm. um, but th then that product kind of went away. Um, it does seem as if we're moving towards a time where 
wearable technology is becoming the next thing, isn't it? It seems to be moving in that direction with, with all kinds of tech companies looking at that. We've seen the Bose AR frames. We've seen Echo glasses or what is it, Echo? Frames. The Amazon Echo frames. Yep. Uh, so, you know, with that, um, we're seeing a move towards this, this approach. Now, for blind people, the idea of having a camera in glasses is very exciting. Hugely. Um and I'm not going to ask you the question when are Google Glasses coming back. I'm not going to ask you that. They but what? Are. Well, yeah, okay. He said, Robin said that. You by can the way, ask not Chris. it. You can ask it. You can ask. <laughs> I, I may even give you an answer you're surprised by. Okay. Well, so they, they, they actually they actually never went away. What happened right. is they, they they turned in, into enterprise gear. Mm-hmm. Right. So we are actually still selling Google Glass, okay. but we're selling it to businesses because we found there is a use case where people are willing to to buy it. it, it it's a legitimate business. So Google Glass actually hasn't gone away. It's just not really a commercial product at this point because of the, all the reasons why it's not being talked about. But the, the question I wanted to ask you, um, instead of asking you when they're coming out is, or when they're coming back or, or whatever, is about the ethics of them. Mm. Because blind people, Robin and I have this conversation all the time. How great would it be to have camera and glasses? You know, Be My Eyes, for example. Mm. Um, Ira in yeah. the States. You know, All of that would just be brilliant through this product. But does the sighted world see it that way? And that's part of the challenge. Mm. The one thing when when talking with people about different form factors, I mean, I'd love to have what we call a camera turn into a light sensor. And then it's no longer something that's videoing you. It's no longer taking pictures. It's just taking in light of the world around you and processing it locally and, and giving information about it. So we, if we stop talking about it as a camera and as a sensor, then it becomes less in, intrusive. It becomes less. It's less people standing in the shower taking a picture of themselves wearing Google Glass. <laughs> yeah, we should. Uh, uh, the and cost that of them, that, that's a really bad idea. Me, that's, what, that's what killed Google Glass was that picture. Right. Um, but but more seriously, the form factors are really important. Mm. Um, right now, look out. You have to hold it in front of you, yeah. or you have to wear it in a, in a lanyard around your neck, yeah. which which makes it a little risky because it's it's, it's this valuable thing that that's so important to your life around your neck. It's not a great ex- for long term use. It's it's not the best experience, but it, it it works really well in 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 more narrow use cases. So, all companies, Apple, Google, Microsoft, we're all investigating different kind of form factors, and glasses are are one of them because it allows you to keep your hands free. Mm-hmm. And I think using a, a blind illusion use case solves one of the problems, which is if you're going to do your quote unquote AR glasses like Minority Reports, you have to have images being presented in front of you and that that adds a lot of logistical problems like what if someone has to wear if someone has to wear glasses and how do you write in in where do you put the information in front of you if we skip that and then you can start focusing start focusing on creating experiences that are audio based uh, akin to what happens with the Bose AR but you add a camera and you can provide a different level of information. Excuse me, add a light sensor, then you provide different <laughs> yeah, kinds yeah. of like. Not a camera. It, it's, it's not a camera. It's Brandy not a camera. Walks like a duck, talks like a duck, but it's not a camera. Is Thanks. that going to be on the, the wall outside written up? It's not a camera. <laughs> You're going to put that. You can say it a thousand times, but the problem is people people don't read. People won't. People will say think it's a camera. Yeah. So so maybe. Wouldn't it be interesting if a product were like this were created with specifically to address a, a blind vision use case? Maybe that could turn the conversation around because now we have a real legitimate use of, of this technology. 
We've seen so many examples of accessibility and inclusion best practice at this event here. For example, as we mentioned earlier, not assuming that people who are deaf or sight or even speech impaired aren't going to be using smart speakers, smart assistants, prioritising accessibility within all levels of an organisation and hearing about how cutting edge like smart glasses could be used by people who are blind, for example. We're really seeing the agenda moving forward. Yeah, that's right, Robin. It seems inclusive design is being uh, taken more seriously and that the needs of disabled consumers uh, are being taken seriously as well. Mm. Uh, less assumptions being made, which is always good, uh, about our ability and indeed what our disabilities are. Th- this is all good stuff. Uh, look, mm. before we hear one last clip from that interview, uh, let's join Addy. I think he's managed to corner someone else uh, for an interview about, uh, well, what they think about Texture Pro. Hi, I'm Sarah Luthwaite. Uh, I'm based at the University of Southampton where I'm researching how accessibility is taught. Oh, excellent. How have you found today, Sarah? What's been your sort of highlight? Anything you can take back to, to, to your work? Well, I think there have been quite a few highlights. It's, obviously, there's been like a diverse range of panels. There's been a lot of different areas covered, which I think speaks to the diversity of the field and the growth of the field, which is really positive. Um, but I really like the leadership panel. I thought some of the issues that were brought up and really seeing um, leaders talking about, in really sort of bare bones terms, how they structure and manage motivation and how they use different discourses around like moral cases, legal cases for accessibility, all these different ways, you know, the carrots, the sticks, that these have to be practically applied by advocates at that kind of level. I found really interesting to get, you know, those really frank insights was really powerful for me. Fantastic. Anything else? You mentioned the dojo, the accessibility dojo. Uh, Well, obviously I'm bringing my education perspective to what people are talking about. So, yeah, when when the um, accessibility dojo came up, uh, when Chris at Google was talking about that, I was... What was that again? Uh, well, he was talking about the ways in which um, they've almost gamified the teaching of accessibility and um, their kind of uh, accessibility dojo. So you can work through the different belts to become an accessibility black belt. I thought, you know, some of that was really piquing my interest. So I'm hoping to follow up with a conversation with him at Did some you ever point. do any martial arts yourself? Oh, not, not to a belt level. Not belt I think level. I might wave my arms around a bit. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Great, that mention at the end there about how Google are gamifying accessibility to try and get people on board. Really good stuff. Okay, so let's finish off with one more clip from the Chris and Kindra interview. This time it's about driverless vehicles and how long it is going to be before blind people, for example, people with other disabilities can expect to hail a ride. The tech is really, really hard. Waymo, they, they, we had hoped we would have something now, and it just to, to do it right and to do it consistently in all all circumstances is tough. But there are active situ there, there are places like in Phoenix where we actually have taxis that are doing this. Mm-hmm. There, there's still a, a, a driver there just in case something goes wrong. But it's it's a legitimate technology. But the edge cases are so important. There's been situations, unfortunate situations, from, from some of our competitors. I'm not going to mention any, any names. <laughs> but we don't want that to happen. No one should have that happen. So you have to be really, really careful. It's a, it, because it's not just here. It's not just the person who is disabled on the inside. It's also the people on the outside. And the consequences could be dire. 
So we have to, you have to go careful. Mm. And Again, that's an optics thing, though, isn't it? Because the number of autonomous miles driven versus mm -hmm. the number of incidents actually verifies that it's a safe technology. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, the public perception needs to, you know, you need to win over hearts and minds as well. Yeah. That, I mean, you certainly hear about every single problem. <laughs> of course, you do. That, yeah. that happens, but you don't hear about every car crash that happens every day. Every day. autonomous. Right. Absolutely. Right. I don't know about you, Robin, but the day cannot come quickly enough for me. And, you know, the great thing about driverless cars is when you think about it, you know, you don't have to go out and buy one, you just order it and it'll come to you. Absolutely. The concept of car ownership is going to feel really antiquated and frankly just bizarre in the decades to come why would you buy something that you're only going to use you know five percent of the time so yeah i think we you know big things are ahead and disabled people aren't going to be left behind because you know you they the people that are, that are owning and running these fleets of driverless taxis or whatever shape or form drones in the air can't assume that the passenger that they pick up will have any responsibility for the journey at all. So, you know, it could be a child, it could be uh, someone with a disability, whatever it is, we're going to be on board and, you know, joining that that experience. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And that is true inclusive design. It's thinking about everybody. Uh, and, you know, this is where, I guess, as we come to the end of this Texture broadcast, it gives us that chance to reflect and think back on how inclusive design is. It's becoming part of the mainstream for a lot of companies. Still more to be done, though, Robin, for sure. Yeah, I mean, hopefully everyone listening to this is already passionate about inclusive design. Hopefully we've provided a lot of information, a lot of ammo that you can take and really wins hearts and minds within your organisations, within decision makers, budget holders, etc. And, you know, start to make a difference. There will obviously be a lot more things dropping in the feed, as we've mentioned, full length interviews. And when we've exhausted those guys, we're going to start dropping in the audio from the sessions, from the workshop streams that we've had at both days while we've been here at TechShare Pro and obviously transcripts for everything as well, which will make referring back to bits of information really easy too. So yeah, watch this space for those. It's been another great episode of TechShare Procast and a real joy to be with you, Robin. From me, Stephen Scott from the RNIB and him, Robin Christofferson from AbilityNet, Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, everybody. Follow us, hashtag TechShare Pro 2019.